It's now my opportunity to introduce our speaker for today, Professor Susan Easton Black. Sister Black joined the faculty at BYU in 1978 after receiving her bachelor's degree from BYU in political science, a master's degree from the University of California in counseling, and her doctorate from BYU in educational psychology. She currently serves as professor of church history and doctrine, past director of church history in the Religious Studies Center at BYU. She has received many awards for her research and writing. She's a three-time recipient of the West Belknap Award for Religious Research and has been named a fellow by the Charles Redd Center for Western Studies and the Joseph Fielding Smith Institute. Dr. Black has been recognized for her teaching over the last 20 years. In 1991, she was awarded the Carl G. Mazur Excellence in Teaching Award, and in 1992 and to 94, she was appointed as an Excellence in Teaching Professor by the BYU Alumni Association. She is married to Harvey Black, who is seated next to her in the front row. They are the parents of eight children. Sister Black currently serves as Sharon East Stake Young Women President and as an ordinance worker in the Provo Temple. We will now hear from Susan Easton Black. I first learned of our legacy of faith from my grandmother. Tell me a story I nightly pled of Grandma as a child. Though I wanted to hear of Cinderella, Snow White, or Sleeping Beauty, she would say, Susan, I can only tell you stories that are true. If you want to hear truth, then I have something to say. Not wanting to sleep, I enthusiastically listened to stories of Jesus, the Prophet Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, and our legacy of faith. Though I believed in the truthfulness of my grandmother's stories, there was one that caused me discomfort. It was of a young pioneer girl named Sarah Ann, who is in danger of being trampeded and trampled by stampeding buffaloes. In this perilous situation, she knelt and prayed for protection. In answer to her prayer, said my grandmother, she remained unharmed, even though hundreds of buffaloes stampeded around her. Instead of marveling with wonder at the miracle, I emphatically pronounced, that's impossible. My grandmother then countered, it's not impossible to those who have faith. Susan, it was because Sarah Ann had faith and you don't. Such forthrightness caused me to ponder then and now. I attended church, paid tithing, said my prayers, but the essence of faith, the substance of things which are hoped for but not seen, had eluded me. As the years passed, my outward demeanor mirrored faith, but my inner faith was lacking. I, I rationalized faithful events as good fortune, favorable circumstances, and just being plain lucky. Would I ever have a faith, a faith like Sarah Ann's? The answer was slow in coming, but in retrospect, paralleled my desire for faith. That desire was ignited my freshman year here at Brigham Young University. On a whim, a girlfriend and I decided to spend the weekend in Salt Lake City while sitting with suitcases in hand at Temple Square, my friend casually remarked, the president of the church, David O. McKay, 
lives just across the street in the Hotel Utah. Her continual nods of assurance and our curiosity led us to the hotel. Speaking with the bellboy and then the hotel manager about where the famous resident lived was frustrating. Their negative attitude towards us, punctuated with security implications, fell on deaf ears. We left them determined to answer the hypothesis, if I were a prophet of God, behind which door would I choose to live in this hotel? After hours of knocking and greeting blank stares from grumpy hotel guests, we now were staking out three floors. An innocent chambermaid on one of the floors revealed the answer. Excitedly, we hugged each other as only BYU freshmen could. (laughs) Our enthusiasm was boundless until we concluded to see if the prophet was home. Being the smallest of the twosome, I was designated to knock on the door. If the knock was answered, I had been programmed to say, We are selling early orders for Girl Scout cookies. Would you care to place an order? As I walked toward the door, I felt reticent. Yet as my feet faltered and heart pounded, my friend pushed me forward. It wasn't until I reached the door and was knocking that she ran like a flash of light (laughs) to the far end of the hall. I was just turning to run when the door opened and before me stood a prophet of God. He looked surprised at the uninvited stranger but didn't say anything. Neither did I. I couldn't. I felt like all the bad thoughts I had ever had flashed before my mind. All the times I had promised to bring refreshments to a young women's meeting, knowing full well I wouldn't attend, also was instantly recalled. I felt like I had been given a key to the celestial kingdom there in the Hotel Utah, but I didn't belong. I wasn't worthy to stand in a prophet's presence. I started to cry and then to sob. He took me by the hand and said, Won't you come in? I waved to my friend down the hall, (laughs) whose mouth was open and betrayed her surprise and now entered the prophet's home. Our discussion remains personal with me, but the resulting impact was a change such as I had never experienced before. It was an inner directional change, totally dramatic for me. I resolved as never before to not just mirror faith by my outward actions, but to know a faith, to be faithful, well faithful, like Sarah Ann, each day of my life, so I would be worthy again to see a prophet, my Savior and my Father in heaven. Oh, that I could always say I had lived up to that resolve. Like Nephi, I can echo, My heart sorroweth because of my flesh, My soul grieveth because of my iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the temptations and sins which so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. To strengthen my resolve, I conscientiously determined that I would study in depth the scriptures, doctrinal discourses, early church records and histories, and biography of those who had lived righteous lives. 
I can say with Parley P. Pratt, I've always loved a book. If I worked hard, a book was in my hand in the morning, a book at evening, a book at every leisure moment of my life. After decades of reading and reading and then reading some more, I finally learned, if ye will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my words, and exercise a particle of faith, let that desire begin to work within you. That inner working has now resulted in a knowledge of great truths of faith. From the scriptures I learned, the Lord is able to do all things according to his will for the children of men, if it so be that they exercise faith in him. Ask in faith, nothing wavering. It is by faith that miracles are wrought. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Your hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore you have been born of him and have become his sons and daughters. Because of thy faith in Christ, thy faith has made thee whole. These truths are not new, but eternal. The followers of Christ in the meridian of time and the saints in the latter days made the discovery of these truths years before and lived enduring lives of faith. But for me and for you, individually, the truths need to be discovered anew to reach an understanding of who we are in the eyes of deity and why Jesus loved us so much that he would atone for our sins, that we might return to our Father in heaven. Helping me in the process of discovering faith has been journals and histories of the early saints that knew and loved the prophet Joseph Smith. I stand amazed at their resolve to tenaciously cling to faith amid the extermination order, Hans Mill massacre, and the prospects of war. It seems to me they echoed the words of Joshua that no matter what trial beset them, they resolved, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For like Job, though they slay me, yet will I trust in him. What power shall stay the heavens? As well might man put forth his puny arm to stop the Missouri River in the degreed course, or to turn it upstream as to hinder the Almighty and, yes, his faithful saints, from worshiping him. The names and stories of those who remained faithful and endured in righteousness are not lost. They are told and retold by their thankful posterity from generation to generation. As we remember with gratefulness our legacy, let us recall the faithful declarations of the past. Near Liberty, Clay County, Missouri, Samuel Bent was the object of religious persecution. As he was tied to a tree and whipped by a mob and saw his wife die from the effects of these privations, yet he nobly declared, My faith is as ever, and I feel to praise God in prisons and in dungeons and in all circumstances, whatever I may be found. For Titus Billings, his escape from mobocracy in Missouri was plagued with starvation and frostbite. For three days and nights he ate only slippery elm bark for food. His feet were so frozen so badly that the flesh came off in pieces. Yet, like Samuel Bent, Titus Billings praised God for his faith.
when Father Joseph Smith Sr. was wrongfully imprisoned for a note of indebtedness against him for $14. He was promised he could go free if he would but renounce the silly Book of Mormon. His thoughts turned to the Apostle Paul. I was not the first man who had been imprisoned for truth's sake, and when I should meet Paul in the paradise of God, I could tell him that I, too, had been in the bonds for the gospel which he had preached. Of those who epitomized the faith I wanted to obtain, a faith like Sarah Ann, for me, the story of John Murdoch is without parallel. At age 17, John came near bleeding to death. Yea, death stared me in the face, but I covenanted with my heavenly Father that if he would preserve my life, I would serve him. True to his resolve, John turned to prayer and meditation and began to search for the gospel of Jesus Christ that professed and practiced the ancient ordinances. He first united with the Lutheran Dutch Church, but soon found they did not walk according to the scriptures. He next joined the Presbyterian Cedar Church. I soon became dissatisfied with their walk, for I saw it was not according to the scriptures. He then united with the Baptist, but soon recognized their walk not to agree with their profession. I withdrew myself from them. Continuing his search for that truth I so desired, John turned to the Methodist faith, but discovered when I did not please him, I would have to be silent among them for a while. By 1827, he had joined the Campbellites, it caused me to rejoice, he wrote, believing that I had at last found a people that believed the scriptures. For three years he faithfully attended their meetings, but as the minister denied the gift and power of the Holy Ghost, John lost interest and concluded all the religious sects of his day did not have the truth he now sought. Then in the winter of 1830, John's prayers were answered. Four missionaries sent to the Lamanites arrived in Kirtland from the state of New York. They preached, baptized, and built up the Lord's Church after the ancient order. Curious, John now journeyed twenty miles to see for himself the new preachers, and when rebuffed by a Campbellite who tried to dissuade him, his reaction was, I told him I was of age, and the case was an important one to me. It was of life and death existing between me and my God, and I must act for myself, for no one can act for me. He arrived at Isaac Morley's farm in Kirtland about dusk and was introduced to the four missionaries and presented a copy of the Book of Mormon. As he read the new scripture, the Spirit of the Lord rested on me, witnessing to me of the truth of the work. About 10 o'clock the next morning, being November 5, 1830, I told the servants of the Lord that I was ready to walk with them into the waters of baptism. This was the third time I had been immersed, but I never before felt the authority of the ordinance. But I felt it this time, and I felt as though my sins were forgiven me, wrote John. After being ordained an elder, he returned home rejoicing, endeavoring to bear a testimony to his family. He then wrote that they gladly received me and my words. Thank the Lord. It was John Murdoch who gave his surviving twins, Joseph and Julia, after the death of his wife, to Joseph and Emma Smith to rear. 
It was John Murdoch that served a mission with Hiram Smith to Missouri. On that trek, his feet became wet, by which I took a violent cold and suffered near unto death. But I could not die, because my work was not yet done. Truly it was not complete for John Murdoch. The calls from prophets would take him from house to house, from village to village, and from city to city, from the eastern United States to Australia. Finally, in 1852, a letter from Brigham Young would release John from his final mission. The letter stated, Return in peace. Your mission is accomplished, and others are on the way to follow up and build upon the foundation of faith which you have laid. Who are those others sent to build upon the foundation laid by John, by Joseph Smith Sr., by Titus Billings, or Samuel Bent? Could it be you? Is it me? For the faithful saints of yesteryear, when the winds of adversity, the trial of their faith, or the Abrahamic test raged and beat upon their house, it stood because their foundation was faith in Jesus Christ. The faithful saints accepted the name of Christ by baptism and further covenants and did not allow their faith to become like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro, nor had they been swayed from the straight and narrow path to the filthy waters or the spacious building. When they learned truth, they willingly embraced truth and accepted the gospel in its fullness. They did not view the gospel feast as a smorgasbord, with a nibble here, a bite there, a taste, a smell, or even a desire to change the cook's recipe. They accepted the gospel harvest as a feast of thanksgiving and embraced the truth as they came unto Christ and partook. They had through faith found the passageway to eternal life, and had clung to the rod of iron amidst the refiner's fire, the fuller's soap, and the trials that tested their integrity and their grip. For them and for thousands, and now millions, of Latter-day Saints, their faith increased to knowledge, and they knew in whom they had trusted, they knew their Redeemer liveth. The legacy of faith remembered by this generation needs to be repeated. Shall the youth of Zion falter? No, I trust not one. You are our hope. As a faculty member of this great university, I commit myself to share my talents, my love, and my life to improving yours. Is it worth it to me? Yes. You are the promise of today, our hope for tomorrow. May you choose the path trodden by our faithful forefathers who knew that yesterday's faith needed to be nourished today. May you partake of the Lord's Supper, his feast, his delicious fruit, as you learn more of faith and embrace that truth. Then will the hope of eternal brightness be yours as you contemplate an infinite joy with the saints of the Most High God, with Abraham, Joseph Smith, John Murdoch, and yes, I could exclaim to my grandmother today, Sarah Ann, may you resolve with me at this Thanksgiving season to retrod their legacy of faith is my prayer and my testimony. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.